0: morning and welcome to the Battles Within. We're continuing on our series entitled, Who is Jesus? Today we're going to be uh, continuing on. Remember in last week's lesson we had uh, just got through talking about where Jesus had gone to Samaria. said he must needs go through Samaria because the Holy Spirit led him that way. And he was able to see the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and tell her the things that she needed to know And uh, she became a believer, and it changed her life. And she went back in town and told people, and because of her testimony, many people got saved. Many people became believed on Jesus Christ. And then she led an an army of town people out of town to come out there to see Jesus, and they themselves said they were saved, not because of your words, but because we heard ourselves. So we saw that people got saved because this woman... Well, the people believed in Jesus because this woman uh, had uh, uh, believed and shared her testimony, and many others believed because of her testimony. But then she brought people to Jesus who then shared who he was, and they believed because of that. Yet at the same time, we see the disciples who were followers, who were religious people, who understood who he was much better than these Samaritans, and yet. They went into town somewhat secretively, got food, and snuck back out without telling a soul about Jesus. So that was interesting enough in itself. We know that last week, uh, then, uh, after the Samaritan, last week we studied the the nobleman's son, that how Jesus had left Samaria and was on his way into Galilee, and he decided he would not go back to Nazareth right now. And remember, he said he wouldn't go back to Nazareth because a prophet is not known in his own country, So he uh, was tearing around Galilee, and uh, while he was in Galilee, he was performing miracles. Well, we know John was the only one that told us about this because John was with him. Well, then it tells us that uh, 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 the nobleman came to him and said, Listen, my son in Canaan, 17 miles away, is sick and dying, and I need you to come and heal him. And Jesus said, You know, why does everybody require me? You think I have to be there? To to heal him? And he said, just go your way and he's healed. You know, you can ask me. You don't have to I don't have to be physically there. Isn't that a great thing? Jesus does not have to be physically here on this earth to heal people, to save people, to help you do what you need to do. Jesus is here. Jesus is God. So he was trying to demonstrate to the nobleman that Jesus was God. He wasn't just a man who had to be somewhere. He was God. And God is everywhere, as David said. So the man believed him and left, and when he left, then the son was healed at self same hour. So we know the fame of Jesus began to grow rapidly here throughout the region of Galilee. And so today, we see that Jesus goes back to his hometown. Now, maybe he went back to visit his mama and his brothers and his sisters, I don't know. But uh. It's interesting, John does not cover this at all in his book. Now, it could be because it's already been covered by Luke. It's not covered by any of the others. It's not covered by Matthew, who was a disciple also. Uh, Matthew was a disciple after this. He was not obviously a disciple at this particular point in time. Matter of fact, we have no records that, that these people that they called originally were actually called to be disciples. He, he told them who he was. They believed in who he was. But next week's lesson, we'll see him calling his disciples. This means he wants them to have a, he, they're called out ones, right? They were believers, but not called out ones. They followed him around as friends learning about him, but they were not necessarily disciples until we're going to learn about that next week. Either way, uh, Matthew only mentions it in passing. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be in Luke today, but look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12, 13, and then the first part of 13. And uh, it says, And now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. So we see that he departed into Galilee, and then there's a gap between that Semicolon and leaving Nazareth. So something happened. Somehow that he went and parted into Galilee, and then some time went by, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. We're gonna see then today the probably why he came and dwelt in Capernaum, because he was rejected in Nazareth. So let's look on. It says you know, now John, interesting enough, may not have included anything about this event, uh because he probably was not with Jesus at that time. I mean, you know, we're going to study next week, as I said, the calling of disciples. He calls them out of their fishing business next week. So, clearly, they were not with him at this particular point in time. Additionally, there's no mention of any of his disciples at this particular event, and you'll see that today. And if they had been there, then what would have happened to them, you know, when the crowds tried to kill Jesus? What would happened to the disciples? So there's really no evidence that any of the disciples were there. It just could be that Jesus himself went to Nazareth to visit family and friends and obviously was there on the Sabbath day. And so as custom was, it says he went to, to, to Jerusalem. Well, we'll to jump ahead. So let's begin our reading with Luke chapter 4 and begin with verse 14 and 15. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about, and he taught in their synagogues, and began and being glorified of all. So it said therefore, therefore went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. Now this regions of Galilee was a fertile, progressive, highly populated region, according to the figures and according to the historian. Josephus, where we get most of our historical information of that time period, there was some three million people living in the area called Galilee. It says, and the fame of him. So in a very short time, Jesus' fame grew to the point where everyone in that region knew who he was. Three million people. Now, you know, today we have people doing Facebook, TikTok, uh, Instagram, uh, uh whatever. Twitter. And they're looking for followers. Well, Jesus had three million people who were interested in him already. So in the success of the eyes of the world today, Jesus was a great success. Already his fame was spread throughout the region. Now Luke, remember Luke is the is the one one of the only is the only Gentile writer in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the Book of Acts. But he was a he was a physician. He was a well-educated doctor, and he did a lot of his traveling with Paul. He traveled with Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys. And no doubt he had time, to, but he was a researcher. So Luke wrote a lot of information. He did a lot of background information, did a lot of researching. And so when he tells you a story, he has researched the story out. Now, Luke, interesting enough, though, does not tell us here about several significant events in that gap between the period. He just simply, he he, he, he doesn't include the initial calling of Andrew, Peter, James, and John, Nathaniel, and Philip. He doesn't cover them in his gospel at all. Uh, The miracles of turning the water into wine, he doesn't cover. The cleansing of the temple and many miracles performed at the first visit to Jerusalem, for the feasts he began his ministry, he doesn't cover any of that. He doesn't cover the Samaritan woman. Uh, so, and as we saw last time, he doesn't cover the nobleman's son either, the 17 miles away. So he just kind of wraps it all up and said his fame grew. He that's why John, when John wrote his gospel, included these events because they've not been included by anybody else. Why did Luke leave those out? Obviously, divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit left them out. They didn't want, they did not, the God did not want Luke telling the story. He wanted John to tell the story. So John told the story. Don't take little of it, don't take into consideration whether it wasn't written somewhere else. Therefore, listen, if it's written one time, one time is enough. It doesn't have to be written again. But all the scripture, none of the scriptures disagree with each other. So there was just a gap in there. It says. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. It appears that most of his fame, by the way, of Jesus, did not come from his healing ministry, but from his teaching ministry. You know, the people were inspired by his teaching of the Word of God. They were hungry for the Word of God. You know, all they had was the atonement. Some of them had the writing of the scripture. It was very difficult to get. It had to be handwritten on scrolls, and it was not an easy task. And it was very expensive to get one. So not everybody even had the scripture. That's why they went to the synagogue and get to hear the scriptures read because they didn't see it. So they were inspired by him teaching about the word of God. I have a little science problem today. I apologize. So then Luke 4.16 says, and he came to Nazareth. No, it didn't say the disciples. It says he. So I believe he came by himself. And I think that's indicated in this story. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So it says, He came to Nazareth where he was brought up. After his fame was spread abroad, you know, Jesus made his way back home to his hometown of Nazareth. Again, I think he possibly went back to, uh, uh, uh to, to, to visit his family, his friends. It's also possible that Jesus might have wanted to start and allow his hometown to be the center of his earthly ministry. So before he established his ministry, he wanted to see how he was going to be received in Nazareth. Now, Jesus knows all things, so you think he would know how he felt how things were there. But I think, you know, it's interesting enough that, you know, let me talk about this just a moment, you know, Jesus knows who's going to be saved who's not going to be saved. He clearly does. Does he not? He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He sees the past, present and future. There's nothing you can do that he doesn't know. You can never you can never surprise God, but you can certainly disappoint him. See, God wants the best for you. See, the Bible tells us God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That Jesus died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. He didn't die just for a few, as some people falsely teach. Jesus died for everyone. If you go to hell, you go to hell because you chose to go to hell. You chose to reject Jesus Christ, not because Jesus did not die for you. His blood was shed for you. It was shed for the lost as much as it is for the saved. Okay? So here we see another example here that even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, he had to give them the opportunity. He gave them the opportunity because they could say, you know, well, you know, why didn't he start a ministry here? You know, why didn't he come home? Uh, You know, we were, you know, why didn't he come to us first? Jesus did. He came to them and they rejected him. We'll see today. So the point was that he did come and it's possible that he came to give them an opportunity. Just a little background on Nazareth. We talk, covered this before, so we're not going to cover a lot of it. But Lazarus laid in the hills about 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee, very fertile land. Uh, escava- Excavations were conducted uh, you know, on that area, and, and, and they found that every piece of space was used effectively. Every piece of space in Nazareth. Nazareth was built on a porous rock. So, uh, as well as buildings above the ground, there were underground cisterns for water, vats for oil, silos for grains. They were bored into the rock because it was poor as rock. There was a single ancient spring of water. So, therefore, everyone had to come to the same well. It was a conservative town, you know, pretty much clinging to those Jewish cultures of the day. It, this is unusual because, remember, they're in Galilee, and Galilee is a society were a lot of affected by a lot of Greek thought and culture, you know modernistic progressives you could say. And yet Nazareth remained a conservative uh, traditionally Jewish culture. Uh, there was about 400 people uh, in the town so everybody in that town knew everybody else, right? Everybody in that town knew everybody else. So everyone here knew who Jesus was and we'll see that in a minute too. The people were physically robust, strong-minded, practical, respectful traditions, loyal to family. Yeah, this, was a strong, this was a strong Jewish community. They spoke uh, Aramaic, which is a, a language with a strong poetic tradition. And they viewed that being able to talk well was a valued skill. So Jesus grew up in a town where he learned a poetic style of language, which was what people would want to listen to, right? And he was also able to talk well as a valued, skilled person. So he was trained from youth how to speak properly because they valued that. Also, young Jewish men were expected to be literate. They were expected to be able to read. The queen, Jewish queen, Salome Alexandria, had made reading and writing compulsory for all Jewish boys, so that they could study the Torah. Now, just a moment about who Queen Solomon Alexander was. She's the only Jewish queen to rule Judea. You say, well, I don't read about her in the Bible. You're right, because this, this took during the time period of the 300 years of silence. Uh, it was in 120 BC. It was the last really big hurrah of the Jewish kingdom before they were conquered by the Romans. Uh, she was a part of the Maccabean family. If you know anything about the Maccabees, the apocryphal books that were written uh, were were included in the Maccabees, and this was a historical document. Now, from a historical perspective, the Maccabee books are interesting to read. They understand they're not inspired by God, but they're historical books. So when they talk about God, you can't necessarily trust it. The things that they say, they use some weird stuff, talk about some stories about things, but you can't really trust that. But the Maccabees were a real people, a real family. They were leaders in that day. She was very much a supporter of the Pharisees. You know, we see, how did the Pharisees come out? Well, they came out about during this time period, of the uh, Maccabeans and stuff like that. And and if you read the religious writings, the Talmud, it includes a reference to uh, uh, her famous Pharisaical brother, Rabbi. So we know that she was very strong in that. So, Jesus grew up in a community where they learned to speak well, where they learned a, a poetic language for people who want to listen to them speak, and also uh, very much strongly study of the scriptures. They all knew how to read and write and study the scriptures and speak. Perfect place for Jesus to grow up. See, God has a plan. So... uh it says the next thing it says in that verse 16. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day. So, you know, Jesus, interesting enough, Jesus made it a custom to get together with God's people and worship and learn about the word of God. He made it a practice to do that. If anyone didn't go to if, if anyone didn't need to go to church, it would surely have been the Savior, right? I mean, he is church. But he knew the importance of being with God's people and learning about God's Word. Isn't that a message we can get today? For if, this, if, if, if church was needed, Jesus needed to go to church, don't we? So as we prepare today for the Lord's Day, that, that happens to be the day that we're doing this message on, uh, you know, are you ready to go to church today? Are you ready to worship God today in the service? You know, people say, well, I can wash them online. It's not the same thing as it is in person. You know, bring your hearts together, and uh, two or two or three gather my name there. So be also. Now, if you can't get out, you can't go. I understand that, and God understands that. But if you can go, don't forsake the assembly. The assembly of yourself together. Okay. Then it says, and so Jesus in the synagogue, and it said, and stood up to read. Now, here's the usual order of service of the synagogue. First of all, it began with an opening prayer and praise. You know, we do that in our church today. Don't we open it with a word of prayer. We have singing and have a prayer or whatever. Then they have the reading from the law. They read the book of the law. Then they read from the prophets and have a sermon. And perhaps they do it from a learned visitor. You know, if somebody, a learned visitor comes in, they would share their pulpit with the learned visitor and allow him an opportunity to speak. But this is after they read the law. So this occasion Jesus was viewed as the learned visitor. Now we're not sure that he ever spoke in the temple before that, but we know now for sure he does this day. And since the synagogue was in Nazareth, he surely would have attended it often. Uh, but now he will read and teach in his hometown synagogue. So let's look at verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophets, Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So it says, and there was delivered into the Book of Prophets, the physical books. So the law is the Pentateuch. was commonly written on one long scroll. The Pentateuch, there are five books of law, written on one long. Then, then there was other books, which were singly or somebody might have been combined according to their length, and they were smaller, they were combined together. They were written on parchment rolls and uh, were unrolled from a cylinder. To which they were fastened, so there was like a cylinder. that unrolled it to read it, and they rolled it back up. So no doubt Isaiah, being a pretty big book, was rolled on a roll by itself. So they had already got the reading. The the they 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 said, all right, Sabbath services. There's two lessons. First was always taken from the Pentateuch, the Law. Moses' five books written on parchment, usually between two rollers. So you kind of roll it around, you know, roll this way, roll that way, you know, kind of like, kind of like a, it's kind of like a roller on ink, the old ink cartridge rollers, you know, where they have the tape that rolls. And so they, as you type on it, it, winding it up. And then when it gets done, it winds it back the other way so that you use it more than one time. So, uh, the day's lesson was left unrolled for the reader's convenience. So, the uh, the prophet's were on a single roll with no particular portion being left open. So it says, so they had already no doubt had read the, uh, uh, they were delivered unto him. So the minister of the synagogue, or the keeper of the sacred books, gave him the scroll. Uh, they were kept in an ark chest not far from the pulpit. The uh, minister would give them to whomever he chose to read them publicly. And since Jesus was handed the book of Isaiah, the prophet, this would be the second reading of the day. So he read the second reading of the day. And it says that when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So it's probably, it's probably that Jesus, when the role of Isaiah was handed to him by the rule of the synagogue, uh, specifically selected this section containing this passage. So they gave him the book of Isaiah and Jesus unrolled it to the passage that he wanted to. It's like, opening your Bibles up on a a particular book. He opened it up to the particular area. In this case, he had to roll the scrolls to get the passage that he wanted to get to. Verse 18, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon, here's what he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, Now, he's reading from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And this is what Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says, because this is not exactly the words. So it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of God, to comfort all that mourn. Now, The one speaking is in the Isaiah passage is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. That's who's speaking in Isaiah. Everyone understood that to be Isaiah. Now, we notice the words in Luke is not exactly the same. It could be because uh, the different types of translators from the original scripture. You know, Luke was written in Greek and Isaiah was written in the finest classical Hebrew. So there's a difference. To me, It's like the King James Version of the Bible is written in in 16th century English. Now, the uh, New King James Version is written in 21st century English. So the writers that took the King James Version and then translated it into English, the modern-day English, made some slight changes. But if you read along with the King James Version and the New King James Version, you don't find many differences you have a different wording here or there that's written for clarification to make it more palatable for our reading, but it does not change the meaning in any way. There's nothing that changes the meaning. You know, so uh, uh, it should be noted that neither are in conflict. So the words that, that Jesus read from Isaiah, from the scrolls that he had, and the original writing from the Hebrews that we have, From the translators, a slight differences. None of it is in conflict. All of it agrees. They use some different wording, but it's exactly the same. That also helps us understand that, as long as you're following a good version of the Bible, a good version of the Bible, not reading some stuff that's not that's a paraphrase. As you know, I'm not a big supporter of NIV. I'm just not a supporter of NIV. I'll tell you the front, you know that about me. I don't believe it's, uh, it's proper. I think they've cut out some things. They've modified. They've taken too many liberties with the gospel. So I'm not a big supporter of NIV. The other versions, there's a lot of good other versions out there that are readable. I personally choose to follow the King James Version. Again, I like the poetic uh, language that's there. I think it's closer to the original intent. I have no problem with the new King James Version for other people, for newer people. You know, if that's something you want to do, I don't have a problem with that because I think it's, it aligns. I don't see any conflicts. I've not found any conflicts between the two, so I would have no trouble supporting that. But understand that that's it. Somebody says, well, we have to stick with the King James because it was good enough for Peter and Paul. It's good enough for me. The King James Version wasn't written in Peter and Paul day, <laughs> So you can't, you can't use that philosophy, that argument. And it says in here, it says, He hath anointed me. The word "anoint" means to rub or sprinkle on, apply ointment or an oily substance to. He has anointed me. He has appointed me. Now, persons in the Old Testament were often literally appointed with oil, anointed with oil, right? They were the priests were anointed for their special service. Uh, little oil will be applied. you know when we ordain a uh, uh, a deacon or a minister, they're ordained with oil. They are they are taking oil and they are ordained. When we when we uh, pray for the sick, we anoint them with oil. So we do the physical but that it's not the oil. The oil means nothing. It's a symbol. The symbol is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the oil in the head was only the outward representation of the real spiritual work going on inside them. If you're anointing a deacon with oil, that does not make the deacon any different than he was before you anointed him with oil. you understand? It's a symbol to the world that the Holy Spirit has come into his life. It's an act that we do in public so that the world knows that the Holy Spirit is going to be driving them. Uh, it says in this prophecy, uh, in this prophecy, the Messiah announced that he is here to heal the damage that sin brings. Sin destroys, folks. It destroys. We have sickness today. I'm struggling with a sinus issue now because of sin. That's right. I mean, before Adam fell, there was no sickness. There was no thing. We all survived. Now because of the world we live in today, so kind of this pandemic that we're going through is the result of sin. Uh, because the the original the original virus would not been available if it not been for sin. Sin has done significant damage. So there needs to be great work. He says that also, he says, to preach the gospel to the poor. Uh, that means, to preach means to herald. I say all of us are preachers. Now, yeah, I'm an ordained minister. That doesn't mean that I'm the only one that can preach. You should be a preacher. Somebody asked me before, can women be preachers? They better be preachers, <laughs> right? I mean, we all need to preach. There's a difference being a pastor though, and be a preacher. Pastors have specific requirements, but we're all called to preach or to be a proclaimer. He said he was called to to preach the herald the good news. Those who literally cower before the great God. Jesus came to the needy, financially and spiritually. Sin impoverished, and the Messiah will bring good news to the poor. He says, heal the brokenhearted. He's here to cure those who have suffered extreme sorrow. He's speaking about spiritual, whose spirits have been crushed because of sin. It literally means to be underfoot of the conqueror. See, Jesus knows your sin. Job 23.10, He that knoweth the way that I take. Jesus cares in 1 Peter 5.7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Jesus is there with you, Hebrews 13.5, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus is working, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for them that love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't give up. The Lord is on your side. Sin breaks your heart. The Messiah has good news for the brokenhearted. He said, preach deliverance to the captives. Literally, those held at spear point to declare that there is freedom to everyone held captive by Satan's spear. Jesus said he's come to do that. Sinners are now captive. They're in bondage to Satan. Jesus can set them free, folks. He can set the sinning saint free. To be free, a person must submit under God's almighty hand. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, sin makes people captive. They enslaved them, but the Messiah has come to set them free. He says, "Recovering the sight to the blind, to give sight to those blinded by smoke," is what he's saying. The mentally and spiritually blind. See, we we see we don't see clearly today because we're we're in this fog of sin around us. We're this haze, this pollution, that we can't see the truth because sin blinds us. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, four, In whom the God of this world, talking about Satan, have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, he says he comes to recovering of sight to the blind. Recovering of sight to the blind. Because originally the world knew Christ. But because a man sinned, they blinded their eyes, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, but their minds were blinded, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, see, Jesus can open the eyes blinded by Satan. Binded to hell, consequences, danger. He can fix all that. Sin binds us, but the Messiah has come to heal our spiritual and moral sickness. It says, set at liberty them that are bruised. You know, to release us from that bondage of sin. Sin causes damage in our lives. People who are alcoholics before they're saved still suffer with the physical effects of alcoholism. People who've done things that are people who've stolen are in prison to get saved. They're still in prison because they're still suffering for the sins that they did. But he sets them at liberty. He releases them from those bonds, the crushed and oppressed. Satan is having a great time at the expense of God's children. Satan has no right, no, though, to, to trash your life. He has no right to infiltrate your mind. He has no right to devastate your life. God, Jesus said he came to set at liberty. Them that are bruised, so you have the authority over him. Ephesians four twenty seven. Neither give place to the devil. James four seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 12 twelve eleven. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. You do not have to be continually beaten up by Satan. Jesus promised you victory. 1 Corinthians 15 57 says, But thanks be to God, which give us, us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But you understand, it's up to us to walk it. It's up to us. Sin oppresses its victim, but the Messiah comes to bring liberty to the oppressed. Luke 4 19. Then he says, He's continuing all those messages, Bring this quote to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the time when God is willing to accept people or receive sinners is coming to him. It's coming. The gospel assures us that the guilty may return and God will graciously receive them. There might be an allusion to the year of gibberly, but we're not even going to cover that. We don't have time to do that. He came to remind us there's coming blessed time when God's people will be with him in heaven. Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall any be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. See, he wants to remind us that there's coming a day when the righteous and the blessing will reign on earth. Luke 4.20 And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So it says he closed the book and sat down. So he did He rolled it back up. And he actually sat, He put it back in the box. Now, the phrase is seen as it came from an eyewitness of the event, As if it was eyewitness, right? He, they said, and he closed the thing up and walked away and sat down. Just calmly sat down. <coughs> now, the chair near the place which the lesson was read was the pulpit of the rabbi. And to sit in that chair was an assumption by Jesus, apparently for the first time in that synagogue of the preacher's function. He sat down in the seat of authority. So when he finished, he sat down in the seat of authority. Eyes of all of them were in the synagogue fastened on him. They watched him. They looked at him. After he read the scripture, he sat down in the seat of authority to tell them what he just read. So they all looked at him with great attention, expecting something to be explained. They all recognized that this was a prophetic passage and they wanted to see what he was going to say. So verse 21 says, And he began to say to them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Jesus said, Who did Isaiah write of? Jesus answered, Isaiah wrote of me. Isaiah wrote of me, he says. When will this time come to pass? Jesus answered, Isaiah wrote of now. He wrote of me. And he wrote in this moment in time, right now, right before you, it's come to pass. Now, some people say that Jesus is a prophet. I've heard Messiah, I'll be mean, sure so the Muslims say, well, we believe Jesus was a prophet, but wasn't the Son of God. That Jesus never proclaimed to be the Son of God. Hey, folks, he just did. Of course, he does it a number of times. So to say that is just false. It's just false. This is not true at all. It's a both ways lie, because Jesus himself said that he was the truth, the way and the right. Nobody comes to the but me. But here we see, again, he clearly identifies Isaiah says, this is the prophet. This is the one to come. This is the savior of the world. Today, you see it. I'm he, and it's now. Now, all it says, and all bear him witness in verse 22. All were witnesses of the power and the truth of what he said. They all heard it. They understood it. They reasoned in their consciousness. They approved of it. They believed that this was what he was saying to be true, and they wondered about it. What? And they started thinking. They were struck with the truth and the force of his words, especially when they remembered that, that he was a native of this place. Hold on, though. Yeah, thought about it. This is the Savior. He said, now's the time. Hold on. And then their minds started to doubt, right? Kind of like Peter stepped out of the water. Once he looked around, he started to doubt. These people started to doubt. Hold on. This is the Messiah? Hold on. He's been in our midst. He's one of us. We all knew him all his life. Now he claims to be the Messiah? How can this be? He now gives them so much evidence that he was, he now gives them so much evidence. The, the, they says his gracious words, they said. The words of grace or favor, the kindness, the affection, the tender exposition. This was not what they expected of the, of the Messiah. They expect the Messiah to be a, a conqueror. You know, this is so much different than the harsh teaching of the Pharisees. That teaches you all these rules you have to do. Jesus said he spoke to him of gracious words, God's grace, God's love, God's redemption. It was so much different than what was expected of the Messiah. Literally, the people said the words were full of grace. Jesus' words was full of grace. Jesus' words today to you is full of grace. Luke Luke 4.23, And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. He said, you're going to ask me to do those things that I did in other places. You're going to ask me to prove that I'm the Savior. You're going to ask me to prove that I'm God's Son. You're going to ask me to do those things that you've seen done in other places. He says, remember John 2, 12 mentions a brief visit to Capernaum with no other details. And John 4, 46 to 54 tells us about when Christ was at Canaan, how he healed it over with his son. These people knew of these miracles. He said, you're going to ask me to perform those same things in front of you. Uh, and Jesus probably heard the crowd demanding some signs, you know, uh, like, show us, you're the Messiah, show us some miracles. You did them in other places, do them here. Show us. Kind of like a they wanted a dog and pony show here. Luke 4.24, and he said, Verily, verily, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Interesting, John quoted this, in, we already read in John 4, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. See, Jesus knew this before when he went into Galilee. He said, listen, I'm going to go into Galilee region. I'm not going to Nazareth yet because the prophet is not known in his own country. So Jesus went into Galilee before these miracles that clearly gave back to Nazareth. So Nazareth knew that there was miracles being performed by this man when he presents it. So the people only see the outside. They knew Jesus, but they only saw him from the outside. They didn't know him inside. They didn't know him as the Messiah. Verse 4, 25-27 says, But I tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Isaiah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout the land. But unto none of them was Isaiah sent, save unto Serpentah, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Isaiah, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. Now, so he talks about the widow, and he talks about Naaman, the Syrian. These were both Gentiles. And both were living in the times of widespread unbelief in Israel. And Jesus points out that God bypassed all the widows in Israel and turned to the Gentiles. He healed the people that were Gentiles. Why? Because they had lack of faith. And he went to the Gentiles because the Jews had rejected God. Jesus said, listen, I'm doing all these great things, these miracles in these lands here to the Gentiles because the Jews have forsaken God. Because your unbelief, I can't perform any of those miracles. You want these miracles done, but I can't perform miracles today because you don't believe in me. See, you don't don't believe me to be the Savior of the world. The nobleman's son was was healed 17 miles away. Why? Because of his faith. I can't do anything here because you don't believe in me, he said. Let me tell you, folks, Jesus can't do anything for you if you don't believe in him. If you don't believe Jesus can save, Jesus can heal, Jesus can do these things that he does, he can't. He will never force his will upon you. And Jesus said to these people in his hometown, I can't heal you. I can't perform these miracles because you won't believe as a result, verse 28 said, And they all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. This, by the way, is the first time that's mentioned of Jesus' opposition, of this hostility towards Christ, and it came started in his hometown. What seemed to spark the Nazarene's fury was the fact that they said, Because you as a Jew reject me, I'll go to the Gentiles. I will have faith among the Gentiles. Praise God, we as Gentiles are saved. But unfortunately, we're saying we have the gospel given to us because the Jews rejected it. You understand? Luke, who's writing this, is a Gentile too. The gospel was given to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected. But the gospel was going to be given to the Gentiles. It was supposed to come through the Jews to the Gentiles. That was God's plan. But again, God's plan will be true no matter what. So verse 29, It rose up, the crowd rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the bowels of, of the city where the city was that they might cast him down headlong. They took him to the cliff and were going to throw him over. The initial amazement of Jesus turned to hostility pretty quick. The crowd turned pretty quick. All these took exception to one of their own, Joseph's son making an impressive claim for himself and they not willing to do the miracles. They want some physical proof of the validity of and he could not do it because they had no faith. They anyway, In any way, they, they they failed to recognize Jesus as a prophet. They can only tell them what the prophet of Israel had been faced with similar disbelief. But they had performed mighty miracles outside of Israel because of the lack of faith of Israel. So it was a word of judgment that Jesus effectively spoke against them. You know, there was also suggestion that the gospel would ultimately go to the Gentiles, right? I mean, he gives us the idea, the notion, that because men rejected the gospel, because the Jews rejected the gospel, the gospel was spread among Gentiles. Today, Gentiles are the spreader of the gospel, for the most part. Yes, they're Christian Jews. Praise God for that. And there's growing in numbers. There is a revival going on among the Jews. But thank God for Gentiles, who are spreading the gospel around the world today, Because God's great blessing. Verse 30. But he passed through the midst of them and went his way. A miracle happened here. See, Jesus passed through the midst. They were ready to throw him. Suddenly, something happened and Jesus was able to walk through. Did the people freeze? Did Jesus become translucent or something and walk through the midst of them? But it says, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. My view is that, remember, we've seen before that God can make them dumb, make them, whatever happened, they lost sight of him and Jesus walked through the midst. And didn't say he ran. He passed through their midst and went his way. So he escaped the death. This was a sad occasion for Nazareth. But we see he will go back again later and he will not receive much better welcome, a little more, they're a little more fearful of him, I think, next time. But, but but that's what it was. So we see here today that Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Savior in his hometown, and they rejected him. And because of that, he turned towards the Gentiles. And uh, he said Gentiles have the opportunity to lead. Next, next week, we're going to be seeing Jesus actually calling his disciples, some of his disciples, next week. So, uh, but that's all we have time for today. I thank you for your time and your attention today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we're here today. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your son who's willing to come. I thank you, Lord, he's willing to stand up and let us know who he is, clearly telling us he is the Savior of the world and what that means. And, Lord, I pray you help us not be like the Nazarenes, the Nazarenes who rejected the truth. But, Lord, let us hear it, understand it, apply it. Let us accept that truth. Let us not be woods that he's got to go somewhere else to work mighty miracles. But work mighty miracles in our life because we believe. Again, we thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and your attention today. Um, I, I pray that uh, God would bless you in everything you do. Get in God's word. God's word is mighty and it's powerful. And uh, we'll see you next time.